Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, July 29th, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to share their thoughts on this week's market activity. George Mateo, our Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income, and Cindy Honcharenko, Senior Fixed Income Portfolio Manager. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. So for this week's economic data, fairly robust in terms of the GDP report came out negative 0.9% for the second quarter of 2022. We also had a significant meeting with the Federal Open Market Committee and Jay Powell and the committee on Wednesday. So we're going to have an update on that from Cindy and the group. And we've also got consumer spending today, this morning's report, along with the consumer spending price inflation, also known as PCE inflation, which was up 1.1% in June and plus 6.8% year over year. So inflation continues to run hot. So let's start with Cindy in terms of an observation and update. What'd you hear from the Fed from your perspective, Cindy? So my top three takeaways from the FOMC meeting on Wednesday, the first, uh, they voted unanimously to raise the target range uh, of the Fed funds rate uh, to, by 75 basis points. The new range is uh, two spot 25 to two spot 50, uh, the 250. So now they're at the high end of the range uh, and technically are at the Fed's neutral. Uh, the, the key change in their statement relative to, the, to June was the first sentence. Recent indicators of spending and production have softened. By contrast, the first sentence of the June statement noted that economic activity had picked up. Uh, so the rest of the statement uh, for July is more hawkish. The second would be we're back to data watching. Overarching theme of Chair Powell's press conference was a commitment to bringing inflation back down to the Fed's 2% target. And he noted that although there's been a slowdown in economic activity in uh, second quarter, underlying demand remains solid and the economy is probably not in a recession. When he was asked about potential conflict between the Fed's inflation and jobs mandate, he stressed that price stability is crucial for achieving sustained full employment. He also noted that growth needs to slow below potential and the labor market has to soften inflation to return them back to their target. And finally, it's looking like a more hardish landing as the base case. Uh, Chair Powell emphasized returning inflation again back to 2% and he, and he noted that that's very significant. And it suggests that the Fed has a high pain threshold to get inflation back to their target. Uh, this is consistent with his hesitance to say that the economy will not go into recession and his statement that the risk of tightening too much in the short run is less than the risk of tightening too little. And we have to keep in mind that the, the economic data and the Fed, everything's lagging. So as we're going along here, there's going to be technical tightening going on behind the scenes. 
And that's going to take six months to a year to actually show up uh, in, in the market. So uh, we need to keep that in mind. So as they slow down, probably September, we're thinking 50 basis points, and then November and December, both will be 25 basis points. There's going to be, you know, they've, they've already front loaded, and now they have to sit back and, and slow things down a little bit and see what the effects of the front loading does on the economy. I think that's a great summary, Cindy. I think uh, I think you said a couple of key things there. One of which is the fact that um, th this this machine that we call the economy does take some time to slow down and speed up, and and the Fed is doing what they can uh, with the tools they have. I mean, they don't have uh, tools to fight things like food inflation or even uh, prices of pump and so forth. Um, the market seemed to kind of reflect or maybe think about the fact that the Fed was pivoting. I think it's more like a pirouette than a pivot, frankly, a small little pivot or a pirouette. But it does also suggest maybe that there's a, uh, a peak in the, the, the tightening cycle. So in other words, the Fed can probably keep going and raise interest rates a bit further, but um, the maximum point of pain seems to have passed a little bit. Uh, a lot of alliteration there for you this morning, I guess. But I would suggest that um, you know the market seems to be looking through this a little bit. Um, it'll be really curious. I think you know we have a call, of course, a week from now, and we'll get some fresh reading on the, the employment situation for, uh, for the month of July. And it'll probably be pretty decent. I mean, I think the employment numbers are still going to be pretty strong, but the labor market six months from now could look vastly different. And that's the thing that probably people aren't really thinking about uh, at this point in the in the conversation, where six months from now things could have slowed down uh, materially. As you said, we've kind of gone through this 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 period of time now where the Fed has tightened rates considerably, financial conditions have started to tighten, but the market is uh, is looking through that a little bit, perhaps not thinking that farther ahead. So um, you, know, you mentioned also the fact that the, the economy is slowing. And yes, we did get um, the official reading for GDP this um, this past week as well, showing that the economy did contract for the second straight quarter. Seemed to me, again, kind of like a mixed bag. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of um, funky numbers inside there with inventories and trade and so forth that maybe sometimes gets overlooked. The consumer seems to be doing okay. I mean, consumer spending did kind of downshift a little bit. But more noticeably was, I think, a bigger uh, shift between goods and services and maybe people thinking about experiences and vacations and things of that sort versus um, stuff, basically. And, and certainly the, the housing component of the GDP report was, was significantly weaker, which I think is probably somewhat expected. So again, now we've got this debate raging as to whether the, the two-quarter um, uh, definition of recession uh, really holds. People are kind of throwing water at that. Some people think it is, is recession. There's an interesting uh, op-ed in the, um, the New York Post that talked about how, how painful this might be for the administration. But irrespective of that, I, again, I don't think we're in a recession right now. I mean, it's, I think it's kind of hard to kind of make that case. It was right to say that the overall GDP, GDP now cast uh, was accurate in the sense that this was this model that we've talked about suggesting that um, the, the economy would contract a little bit. But when you've got employment uh, rising, what, around three and a half, four percent 4%, I think initial claims have picked up a little bit, um, but they're still below where they were. Most recessions, for example, see initial employment claims of around 350,000. We're at about 250 now. That's up a little bit, but um, you know the overall continuing claims, those people that have been unemployed for longer have actually kind of seen those numbers stay near record lows. And then this morning, we got a pretty healthy reading from the employment situation as well, where labor markets, labor costs rather, rose about 5% year over year. Not maybe as much as feared, but nonetheless um, suggested that the overall employment situation is still pretty strong. And then lastly, I'll kind of reverse what I said last week with respect to the fiscal situation, where it seemed to be kind of slowing down a little bit. 
it now seems that the the in mood in Washington right now is to spend more money. So you've got another fiscal impulse perhaps coming at the economy as well. So a lot of mixed pictures, but again, I guess I'd kind of flip over to you, Steve. I think it was kind of curious just to see how the market, going back to the Fed conversation from Cindy's um, address earlier, the market really seems to be kind of thinking that the Fed is officially pivoted almost, and almost kind of suggesting that um, the peak is over in terms of Fed tightening. What, did, what was your read of the, the market activity this past week? Yeah, I think, George, you're right. I mean, the market has been looking through the whole recession business for and, and really the inflation business and thinking about... Uh, what's the world look like if all that stuff's in the rearview mirror, right? And and they they seized on the potential for a more dovish Fed. I would argue that the, the Fed really, if you read what they said and listen to what Powell said, the, the pivot, quote unquote, wasn't anywhere near as dovish as what you might think. Because I think when you look at the way the numbers are likely going to come in, uh, we have hot inflation baked in the cake from now through year in. So if they're quote unquote data dependent, it's going to be really hard for them to pivot dubbish when inflation is running between six and 7%. So yeah, it's, even, it's, not, it's not a pivot. Like I said, it's a pirouette or something. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, I think, so I think people need, language, but he didn't, he didn't really pivot. Yeah. So people need to be really careful about, about taking too much from what he said uh, what I would say is, though, that the market has really been trying to figure out, OK, let's assume that they do make some kind of a pirouette, to use your word, George. Um, and and this is something we've talked about on these calls in the past, and that is that it's becoming increasingly likely that the peak for Fed funds this cycle is likely going to be for the first time ever at a negative level on a real rates basis when compared to inflation. That means that the inflation rate is likely gonna be continuing to run higher than what the Fed funds peak uh, is when the Fed finishes its tightening. That's never happened before. And quite honestly, you know, if the Fed declares victory on inflation with inflation running somewhere north of 4%, um, it's Katie bar the door for, for equity assets, growth assets, inflation, linked commodity type stuff. Uh, I mean, we've we've mentioned before, and I'll say it again, I think you can get into a scenario where things can light off like a Roman candle if that's what they actually do. And that's what the market's trying to front run. That's why we've seen this rally so strongly on this idea that the Fed might be pivoting, because the market is front running the idea that it's going to have to be really, really aggressive um, in response to some type of a of a pivot because the consequences of of not participating in that rally are so negative for investment managers. So, Rajiv, yeah, I mean, what are the fixed income markets telling you at this particular time, too? I mean, it's a it's a very interesting time. I mean, uh, to Steve's point, if the Fed decides that you know what, you know, we had that two percent target, and now we're going to say it's okay for inflation to be at four percent, I feel that the Fed loses credibility by that. I think the Fed needs to continue to combat inflation and try to move as fast as they can towards the 2% target. It's going to take a while to get there. The market, the, Fed, the uh, fixed market markets are definitely not um, behaving that way. They think that the Fed is uh, going to pause. Um, we saw it immediately at the Fed announcement, the two-year U.S. Treasury moved almost 32 basis points above the 10-year. So again, we remain inverted. 
And as we've mentioned many times on these uh, on these calls about uh, the inverted yield curve being a historical predictor of uh, imminent recession, uh, we still see that inverted. Uh, we immediately saw the 10-year fall to 2.74%. We saw the two-year move below 3%. It's as Cindy mentioned, uh, the Fed and the way their messaging seemed dovish is completely uh, different than the actual statement itself. The statement read a lot more hawkish than the way the presser was. Uh, Fed Chair Powell mentioned that uh, he could slow the pace of tightening. That's really what the market caught on to. And risk assets rallied and continues to rally. Uh, credit spreads rallied, high yield spreads rallied. They're putting a lot of faith into the presser and the notion that the Fed's going to slow down. Uh, they're going to need to really see the data. And I, and I mean, they have an opportunity here to wait till September with they'll have some more data. I think one good thing that came out of that Fed meeting was the fact that they are giving up on their market guidance. Uh, that doesn't help at all when you look at backdated data of inflation. So they're not going to be doing, uh, that's kind of following the uh, leaf from the ECB. So we're going to probably look at a base case of September being 50 basis points. Uh, the issue really is when the Fed's going to pause. Uh, I totally agree that as soon as we get that notion the Fed is going to pause, risk assets are going to rally. Uh, we saw in the last two days, but I, I really think that uh, we need to see a lot more. Uh, the curve, could we have a lot of Fed speakers coming out now? They were on a blackout period. They didn't get to say much. They're going to come out. I have a feeling that in the next week or so, Fed speakers are going to talk about, uh, again, inflation's number one target. We have something to worry about inflation. And you could start seeing the flattening of the yield curve again at that point. George, back to you. I think you had some additional thoughts. Yeah, I was just going to piggyback a little bit on what Steve said about how the market's trying to front run a little bit of this um, this end date or end, end period of, of, I don't know what we would call this, Fed tightening maybe. But I, I think that uh, what's curious to me, you still have this dynamic where stock prices and bond prices are kind of moving together still. And um, that seemed to be working in our favor lately where both, <clears throat> excuse me, both bond uh, prices and stock prices have been rallying. But um, you know, there's also the, the counter uh, side of that, where we've seen much of this year, seen pressure on both sides, both stock prices and prices, bond prices have fallen. So I, I do think it's important not to abandon <clears throat> that idea and think about um, you know, diversification more fully. <clears throat> so we, we do want to think about how we construct portfolios and being more robust about portfolio construction and using other things than just stocks and bonds to really try and provide the diversification um, in these periods of, of volatility, which I, again, I don't think they're over just yet, for, for sure. But, um, you know, Steve, we also got some pretty uh, upbeat, um, I guess you could say upbeat uh, news from the earnings front this past week. What was your take on the earnings releases that we've seen across the board at a macro level? Yeah, they've been they've been good enough. I mean, I think that the ones that people have been the most focused on, especially in the press, has been the mega cap tech earnings. Um, and what's funny is if you actually look at the earnings numbers for the mega cap tech companies, I think that their their average beat was by about a half a percent, something like this. Um, and the average beat for everybody else is something like six and a half percent. But the reactions that we've seen in the mega cap tech names have been a way outsized for that. I mean, take a look at, at Amazon shares today uh, and you, you see that writ large. I mean, I think that the macro for me is that a, a company like Amazon in the world we live in today, post pandemic is, 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 a, is probably a better window into the health of the American consumer than a company like Walmart or Target. Those are a couple of companies that have had more troubling signs, whether it's inventory, other things. And I think people are trying to make read-throughs from these individual companies to, to the health of the economy. 
Um, and when, when you see uh, the, the type of, of report out of, out of a company like Amazon last night, um, it, it really makes you uh, think that the, the consumer continues to have uh, pretty, pretty good legs, frankly, George. Yeah, so I guess I just kind of close by saying that I think the overall assessment seems to be things are maybe a bit worse than expected in terms of the, the slowdown in the economy. <clears throat> maybe some of the earnings quite are as robust as you, as you mentioned, but they're probably better than feared. Uh, and so I think the market is definitely um, hanging off that for now. And uh, with that, I think we have to be very vigilant as just the, as the Fed is being data dependent, so do we. So I, I think on that note, we'll wrap it up and wish everybody a good rest of the week and a good weekend. George, Steve, Rajiv, and Cindy, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information. We'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.